The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. folks bake the bread and wake the dead it's time for event or else the comic book show where i go through most every major marvel and dc event one issue at a time one episode at a time because honestly well when i figure that out i'll let you know i'm your host my name is steven and i'm back once again to climb just a bit further up the mountain that is crisis on infinite earths This week, we got issue number two, and it's entitled Time and Time Again. This issue was published by DC Comics in May of 1985 and was written by Marv Wolfman with pencils by George Perez, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tony Tallon. Our story opens at the dawn of man. A caveman called Anthro crouches at the edge of an outcropping of rock a dozen or so feet off the ground. A mammoth herd of the woolly variety charges by below, and he leaps atop the lead serpent nose, as he calls him. The herd stampedes towards Anthro's village, threatening to trample it into the ground, but try as he might, he can't seem to turn them. But then, as all hope seems to be lost, They turn, and as the savior of the bear tribe dreams of the celebration his people will surely throw for him, what with the feasting and all, he doesn't notice the low-hanging branch that smacks him on his head, sweeping him from the mammoth and dumping him on the ground. As he rises, shaking the cobwebs from his head, he spies a city through the foliage. A city from the future! Yet when he tries to show the others, the city has disappeared along with the herd of stampeding mammoths. Meanwhile, in the 30th century, as the Legion of Superheroes search for Dawnstar, their missing teammate, a herd of stampeding mammoths suddenly appear, causing chaos and general mayhem. But before the team can do anything about them, the mammoths disappear as suddenly as they had appeared. As the Legion are scratching their collective heads over the mystery, Brainiac 5 discovers a wave of antimatter moving toward the Earth. He doesn't know where it came from, only that there is enough energy in the wave to not only destroy Earth, but the entire universe. But let's ignore that threat for the moment, shall we? And instead, travel into the past, or this issue's present, late July of 1985 on Earth-1. The Joker is up to his little schemes, killing folks to make some millions, and Batman is doing what he does best, crashing through a window in an overly dramatic fashion to put a stop to it. The Joker, however, is ready for him and blasts the Batman with some type of glue from the flower on his lapel, covering the caped crusader in sticky goo, incapacitating him. Suddenly, the Flash appears, looking emaciated as he crackles with energy. The Flash is begging for help, surprising both the Clown Prince of Crime and the Dark Knight. Batman, however, uses the distraction to go for the solvent he keeps in his utility belt to free himself from his sticky bonds before quickly disarming his clownish foe with a well-thrown batarang. Batman then turns his attention to the Flash, who tells him that the world is dying around him, 
before he suddenly seems to disintegrate into nothingness as the Joker escapes. This leaves Batman more than a little shaken, which for me is actually quite refreshing. It seems like the Batman of today seems to be more stoic and unshaken in the face of the unexpected. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, the whole Batman who always expects the unexpected because he's too busy out thinking everyone in the known universe thing gets a bit old after a while. Though I will say I have been enjoying James Tynan IV's Batman quite a bit lately. Anyway, we cut to Team Monitor. Psycho Pirate, Firebrand, Simon, Blue Beetle, Solivar, Geoforce, Firestorm, Killer Frost, Earth 2 Superman, Arion, Dr. Polaris, Obsidian, Cyborg, Dawnstar, and Green Lantern. We pick up where we left off in issue one, as the Monitor is telling the team that their universes are about to die, and that more than a thousand of them have died already. The Monitor explains that he is linked with all positive matter, and that's what gives him his power. Yet, as the antimatter destroys more and more worlds, he grows weaker, and soon he's not going to be able to stop his unnamed foe from destroying all of existence. Harbinger shows up and tells the team that the Monitor has placed devices in five crucial eras throughout time, devices powerful enough to stop the antimatter wall. The team's job is to split up and protect each of the devices until the time is right to activate them. Then, of course, comes all the expected mistrusted grumblings from the team. But once that's out of the way, they agree to help. And so Harbinger teleports them off to their assigned devices. Meanwhile, in the center of the universe, on the planet Oa, home of the Guardians who created the Power Rings and the Green Lantern Corps, the little blue ladies and gentlemen are just now discovering what's been going on across the multiverse. Yet, before they can lift any of their tiny blue fingers to do anything about it, a voice booms out all around them and tells them that they are too late. This is followed by an explosion, leaving behind a big bunch of blue people strewn about the floor, possibly dead, which is really very sad. It really is. From there, we join Earth-1 Superman in present-day Metropolis. He meets up with Batman, who tells him of his encounter with the Flash. As they discuss what the Flash's warning could possibly mean, Pariah appears. He tells the two heroes that he needs them, both of them, that their legends reached his world long before his exile. He also tells them that their world, their universe, is dying. But before he can say much more, he disappears, which, you know, has got to suck. Hey, there's a dude. Hey, I'm a dude. And oh yeah, your world is dying. Ah, he disappeared. And that takes us to the Great Disaster, where a text box reads, It is sometime in the future, in a timeline that at times stands between modern Earth and a 30th century, which knows nothing of its existence. Which is not confusing at all. Not at all. I mean, that makes total sense. Here's a timeline that happens sometime between now and the 30th century, which is the time of the Legion of Superheroes, but the Legion of Superheroes knows nothing about this timeline. That's not confusing at all. And it's not always there, apparently, depending on what timeline or what time or whatever. That's, uh, yeah, I think they really needed this crisis. So basically, this is the timeline of Commandy the Last Boy. He sees a great tower made up of futuristic technology, which is just sitting there 
begging the boy to climb it. And so, of course, he does. And then suddenly, a shadow creature flies out of the tower, slicing the boy's rope in two, which causes Commandy to fall to his death. But not really, because he's caught by Earth 2 Superman, who is a really handy guy to have around. This tower, we find out, is one of the Monitor's five devices, and Superman is there with his team to protect it. And with him are Solovar and Dawnstar. Suddenly, more shadow creatures attack, and our heroes drive them away. Harbinger watches, and we're reminded that she was possessed by one of these shadow creatures back in the previous issue, meaning that now she's being influenced in some regard by the Monitor's foe. Yet, for the time being, she still does the Monitor's bidding until she is given the final command. Until then, she enters a room on the Monitor's satellite to fetch Alexander Luther, the baby of Lex Luther and Lois Lane from Earth 3. She's taken by surprise, however, when she discovers that the baby has aged into a toddler and has stars swirling under certain areas of his skin. From there, we travel 45,000 years into the past to Atlantis, where our second team, made up of Arion, Psycho Pirate, and Obsidian, have arrived to defend another of the Monitor's towering devices. Pariah shows up, and Psycho Pirate gives in to his villainous instincts and uses his powers on the pink-haired man, making him happy and all sorts of giggly. Psycho Pirate then absorbs the man's emotions, making himself more powerful. Meaning that when Arian tries to stop him, Psycho Pirate fights back in a big way. That is, until an energy beam flashes down from nowhere and takes Psycho Pirate away to go chum it up with the Monitor's foe. The issue ends with the Monitor worrying over Harbinger. He knows that she's going to turn against him. He knows that she's already been taken over, but he has high hopes that she will resist his foe and do the right thing. Because in the end, he knows that it is only through her and his other champions that the universes that still live can survive. And with that, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments or aspects of the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. Love them or hate them, it doesn't really matter, because I'm going to talk about them no matter what. Thing to dwell on number three, no Batman until issue two? I only bring this up because honestly, I don't think they could get away with that today. I mean, could DC do a major line-wide event and not have Batman in the first issue? And really, we don't get Superman until issue two either. Okay, sure, we have Earth 2 Superman in issue one, but he's not the main guy. In fact, we don't have any of the big seven in the first issue. No Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, or Green Lantern. I guess we have Jon Stewart, but we didn't get Hal Jordan. Though to be honest, I do actually like Jon Stewart a bit better. Now to be clear, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. If anything, it's a bit refreshing. I just found it interesting how things have changed because honestly, I don't think they could get away with that today. Thing to dwell on number two, what the flip is a poltroon? When the Monitor is trying to convince the assembled heroes and villains to help stop the destruction of the multiverse, Simon not only pushes back, he attacks the Monitor psychically. His attack, of course, fails, and Geoforce grabs hold of Simon, who shouts back, Unhand me, you stupid poltroon! 
Now, I'll admit I had no idea what a poltroon was. So, of course, I looked it up. And now that I have, it's like one of my favorite words ever. Poltroon is a noun, and it means spiritless coward or craven. And it's also a total villain word. But not just any villain is going to use a word like poltroon. It's only going to be those that are super smart and have huge, massive egos. For example, I can totally see Dr. Doom calling someone a poltroon, and I'm sure he has before. This word, or the use of the word, really helps to define the person using it. And it also helps explain the fact that I'm easily impressed. Thing to dwell on number one, humor at the dawn of humankind. In the opening scene, when it appears that Anthro might not be able to save the village of the Bear Tribe, and as their doom is stampeding toward them, his father says to Anthro's pregnant wife, Aye, Embra, your husband fails. We'll all die. To which she replies, He's your son too, Neon, and the father to your grandchild-to-be. But then once it's clear that Anthro has saved the village, Embra says to Neon, Look, I told you, Neon, my husband succeeds. And then we get the hilarious reply from Neon. Your husband? Remember, he's my son too. (laughs) 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 Again, easily impressed. And those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to the part of the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. I like how we're starting to get into the plan, or at least a plan has been defined. Antimatter is wiping universes from existence. The Monitor has placed five devices that, when activated at the proper time, will stop the wave, and our group of heroes and villains have been picked to defend those devices from the shadow creatures that have been sent by the Monitor's foe. But of course, we're only two issues in. That can't be all there is to it. We're not going to get that for the next 10 issues. So I'm really curious what's going to happen next. Because again, I've read this twice before, but I'm really blanking on a lot of what happened. And it's funny because they're not mentioning who the Monitor's foe is at any point so far in this book. And I find it kind of interesting that they haven't quite revealed him yet. I mean, we're not talking about a villain that's already an established part of the DC universe. So it's not like they're trying to keep his identity a mystery until the big reveal. But still, I'm not going to reveal who it is at this point in case you haven't read it. I mean, they're not doing it. So I'm not going to do it at this point yet either. Beyond that, it was nice to see Batman and Superman of Earth One in this issue, even though they're really not a big part of the story at this point. They're almost like peripheral parts of the story. They're not part of the main action. They're not part of the main solution. They're just kind of out on the edges, just kind of discovering that something is going wrong. And I I just, I don't know. I just find it funny because by the standard of today's comics and today's events, it does just seem really weird that they're being handled in this fashion. But I guess it just wasn't any big deal back then to do that, though it would be today. I I really do believe that. I really believe that if they tried to do this today, people would be scratching their heads. 
why was Batman not in issue one? Why was Superman not in issue one? So I don't know. I just found it all interesting. But all in all, I'm really just enjoying the crap out of this book. Like I said last week, I don't know who some of these characters are, and I'm not really all that familiar with many of the rest of them. But so far, just two issues in, this really feels like we're just we're getting a tour of the DC universe and just every corner and every aspect. And I'm actually enjoying that quite a bit. The art continues to be spot on. No complaints there. And frankly, I'm not sure I have much else to say. So instead, how about you just join me back here next week? And maybe, just maybe, if you're super lucky, I'll talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths. Issue number three, Oblivion Upon Us. If you miss that one, well, there's really not much I can do about it. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's your snort. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better.